Welcome to The View. We are so excited that you are with us tonight. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and, and open to Luke chapter 6 tonight. Luke chapter 6. Uh, so thankful that we're able to worship together. As I told you last week, I hope that you are worshiping the Lord in truth, in spirit. I hope that you are recognizing how great he is and how unworthy we are, and yet he has still died for us. Is Jesus not glorious? I mean, really, just to pause at the beginning, those lyrics we just sang, is, is there anything else in this universe we could ever want that's greater than Jesus Christ? When you lose your life, you will gain it. When you give yourself away, you will truly find yourself, meaning you will find who you are in Jesus Christ. <laughs> when you give up this world, you find heaven. If you're seeking for Jesus Christ. There is no greater prize, no greater treasure, no greater reward than to know Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Truly. Do you know him as your Lord? Do you know him as your best friend? Do you know him as your Savior? Do you know Jesus Christ because he knows you? He was thinking about you when he died on that cross. He was thinking about all those sins you and I have committed. And he died on that cross for every single one of those sins. He paid that price. There is not a other human being in history who could have done what Jesus Christ did. And the reason why is because Jesus is fully God and fully man. There is no one else who could resurrect from the grave the way Jesus Christ did. And he did all that. He died for your sins and rose again. So that you might have life and have it abundantly. Do you have that? <laughs> Do you have that abundant life, that joy, that peace that can't come from this world, that only comes from heaven? I can't answer that question for you. But I hope tonight is just a reminder of how you can find it. My name is Daniel Harris. I serve as the college pastor. I've been with you every week. Very thankful to hear from Rebecca Smith a few moments ago. What a, a joy it is to see godly Christian college student leaders like Rebecca leading out in her faith while in college. You know, she just taught our leaders about an hour ago a 30-minute lesson on the word and then came up here to share her testimony and what she's learning during the quarantine. That's amazing. And all glory goes to God, but her obedience to be used by God is huge. Are you obedient to be used by God? Are you being used by God the way you know he's wanting to use you? Because I have a feeling you might feel the way I feel, that God is wanting to use us more. <laughs> so very thankful for her coming and sharing with us. And I want to encourage you, if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling lonely, if you feel like God is far from you, if you feel like your community is far from you, God is not far from you. God is right there with you. And if you're a Christian, he lives in you. So stop searching externally for what God has given you internally. <laughs> if this is your first time joining us, we believe in Jesus Christ. We love him. We preach about him. We believe it's not about the clothes you wear. We believe it's not about the way you talk or the way you carry yourself in, in social situations and those kind of things that get you into heaven. It's not about being a good Christian or going to church or any of those things. No, it's about realizing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And that if the mindset, Tyler Oliver, one of our leaders, just told me an hour ago, he said if the mindset is just to overcome sin, we'll fail every time because we don't have that power. 
But what he did say is that if our mindset is to fall more and more in love with Jesus Christ every day, then we will overcome sin in our lives because he is the power that overcomes that sin. (laughs) It's an amazing concept. That's what we call the gospel. If this is your first time watching, we would love to connect with you more. Do not leave our stream without giving us the chance to connect with you tonight. We're going to give you a number at the end that you can call or text, and we will reach out to you. Now, Luke chapter 6, we're going to go ahead and jump into it. The title of my sermon tonight is The Tool or the Torch. I want you to write that down at the top of your notes. I hope that you're taking notes because, you know, I got plenty for you to write down from the Holy Spirit. I got Lauren and Jess on the camera tonight. I got Corey and Jeremy in here snapping some photos. They with us tonight, faithful as always. The Tool or the Torch. I want to talk about one truth, and I want to go as deep as I can into it for the next 30 minutes, hopefully, right? I want to go as deep as I can into this truth. I want to talk to you about your words, something I fail at time after time again, our words, the things we choose to say. We are imperfect people, and we make mistakes with our words. We fall short all the time. Now, words have power. You know that as well as I do. Words have power. But here's the thing about words. We use strong words casually. What I mean is we throw around the words love and hate so easy, don't we? (laughs) Today, you have probably said that you love something that you didn't actually love. (laughs) You just really liked it or you're fond of it, but that doesn't mean you loved it. I know that you love those sugar cookies or that ice cream, but do you really love it? The way the Bible describes love. Would you die for that ice cream? (laughs) Some of you are like, yes, (laughs) no question. I would lay down my life for ice cream. Well, I would call you a psychopath. (laughs) That's what I would say because I wouldn't even go to get ice cream if it's free. And so we use our words casually. I say all the time, I love Huey's. I love their mac and cheeseburger, but do I really love it? (laughs) What would I sacrifice for a Huey's mac and cheeseburger? Not a lot. I eat it because it's convenient and it's sort of cheap. We say that we hate things. I hate that color. I hate that style. I hate this Instagram post. I I hate that movie. That movie is awful. I hate it. Or I love that movie. And we throw these words around. Sometimes it's probably true. There's some things that we really do love to the core. But oftentimes we use these words and they lose their power. Can I ask you a question? Are you using your words in a way that they are losing their power or using their power? Now, that's deep. We could sit there for a minute. That's not even in my notes. I'm going to have to keep going. (laughs) But that's huge right there. We throw our words around too casually. That in our culture, we have really lost the meaning of some of our words. Now, I'll give you another example. We give our word to someone, but we don't follow through on what we say we're going to do. (sighs) That's tough. Ain't it? That's tough. When you tell somebody you're going to do something, then you don't do it. That's tough. I've been there. Guilty. I'm the first one to tell you. I've been there. Guilty. Another one that we do is we lie. We lie a lot more than we realize. I'm going to give you some statistics tonight online that will blow your mind, but we lie. We tell people things that simply are not true. And probably one of the worst of all is we gossip. 
We talk bad about people behind their back. We get into their business when we have no reason to get into their business. We slander them. We cut them down. We cut down church leaders. We cut down pastors for what we don't like about their sermons, what we don't like about a church service. We cut them down. I don't like this. I don't like that. I hate this. I hate that. We talk bad behind the church. We talk bad about other people that we serve with. We, we, or we make those little sly comments that we know really are hateful, but they're disguised as if they're just dislikeful. You know what I'm talking about. That's sin. That is sin, and that's dangerous. There's a way we can use our words in a different way. Here's the truth I want to give you. I want you to write this down. Your words are either a tool used to build, or they are a torch used to burn. The tool of the torch. Your words are either a tool used to build or they are a torch used to burn. Either you're building or you're burning. You're you're building up or you're tearing down one of the two. Now, we find ourselves in the book of Luke tonight. We find ourselves in the Gospels. And what we've learned so far about Jesus in the last few weeks, we saw Jesus overcome temptation in the desert. We saw uh, Jesus heal a man with leprosy. And then tonight, our focus shifts off of necessarily Jesus' actions, and Jesus is shifting his focus on our actions. That's an amazing concept. He's going to talk about us and how we are with our words and what's in our heart. He's going to give us a parable that challenges our words. Now, the Bible tells us God loves words. Don't get it wrong. Adam Neely, one of our leaders, just told me an hour ago, I'm going to be quoting them all, all night. He said that the Bible constantly tells us who God is. It all points to his character and his nature. We know God loves words. How do we know that? Well, besides the obvious that he gave us an entire book of words that tell us who, he, who we are. He could have gave us a DVD series, I guess, or a podcast, but he didn't. He gave us a book full of words <laughs> telling us who he is. He loves words. In the beginning was the word. Jesus is described as the word, and all things were made through the word and for the word because Jesus is the full reveal of who God is. God has spoken and showed us who he is, so Jesus is the literal word. God loves words. Now, because of that, God knows how to use his words. (laughs) You look at this creation, it's beautiful. It's amazing. He didn't mess this creation up. We did. (laughs) I could sit on that. I can't. I got to keep going. But he loves words, and he uses them in a righteous way. We oftentimes do not. Now, Jesus in his life, he used his words perfectly. He constantly knew when to encourage and when to call out. Look with me at Luke 6. Luke chapter 6, verses 43, starting in 43. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. (laughs) Two scenarios, very straightforward. A good tree does not produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree does not produce good fruit. It is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes. Grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. Did you catch that? Stay right there. His mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. How do you measure your words? Look at your heart. And it will make it abundantly clear. And then the last verse, I love this verse. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? (laughs) You literally cannot get more straightforward than that. Let's come off the verse. Come to me for a second right here. He's literally, I feel like Jesus is looking at him like this. 
Why do you call me Lord, but your actions do not match up to what you are calling me? (laughs) In other words, why do you call me Lord, but none of your actions show that you really believe I am your Lord? (laughs) In other words, your actions do not determine whether God is the Lord. They just determine whether he is your Lord. (laughs) That's the truth of it. You can't change who God is. It just shows the way you talk, the way you live, who he is to you. That's an amazing concept. Now, before we give you the points... Let's talk about what we see here in the passage. Every time you open to read the Bible, I encourage you to journal. Write down things you see happening in the Bible, in Scripture. Write them down. What do you see happen? A lot of people read the Bible and don't get anything out of it because they read it like a fictional novel. Did you catch what I just said? If you're reading the Bible like a fictional novel, you have missed the whole point of it. It is truth. It is revelation. It is God's spoken word. Now, what I notice here first is producing fruit is not an option. Did you catch that? You see, producing fruit is not an option. You are producing something. In other words, Jesus gives two scenarios. He says you're either a good tree producing good fruit or you're a bad tree producing bad fruit. He does not say, or you're a chill tree (laughs) producing no fruit. He doesn't say you could just be a chill tree hanging out, not producing anything. He does not give that scenario. Why? Because it doesn't exist. You are either producing godly things or sinful things. There's really no in between. (laughs) There's no option here. What are you and I producing? What are we building? We talked about Jesus the carpenter. What are we building? What are we producing? I can't tell you that. You've got to answer that question. If you aren't producing good, you're often producing bad without realizing it. That's the reality of it. I hate to put it that way. I got to put it that way because it's the truth of Scripture. Now, that's the first thing I noticed. This is before we ever get to the points. The second thing I noticed is the significance of Jesus comparing us to a tree. Have you ever thought about that for a minute? Venture down this road with me. Excuse me. Trees produce fruit that benefits other people. Other people come and they eat the fruit that the tree produces. But when they produce bad fruit, it literally can poison people. It literally makes them sick. Have you ever thought about that? Literally, bad fruit will poison them and will make them sick from the inside out. Do you know what that means? That means what you produce literally will affect you and other people from the inside out. So you think your actions and your words don't have consequences, but they do because they're hurting other people from the inside out. I've made that mistake. It's a very hard thing, but it's toxic. Sin is a poisonous fruit. It attacks you from the inside out. Now, let me give you number one. Very straightforward. You already have it. Number one, your words can be a torch used to burn. Let's talk about the bad, and then we'll talk about the good. Let's get through the bad. If you'll work with me here, let's get through the bad. Let's get through when we do it wrong, and then I promise we're going to get to how to do it right. Your words can be a torch used to burn. Now, in the same way that water pours from a faucet in the sink, words pour out of your mouth and my mouth every day. The same way that water comes from a faucet, words are coming from your mouth and my mouth. But just as water is not coming from just the faucet itself, it's coming from an underwater tank. Your words are coming from an underwater tank. (laughs) The words coming out of your mouth are flowing from a place that is unseen and on the inside. The words you say are literally being produced here and here, and they flow out from here. 
In fact, all of your actions produced here and here, and they flow out through your hands. Do you understand that? That's, what, that's why whatever is in your heart will eventually come out of your mouth. That's the reality of it. That's the glorious truth of why every word that God says, every word Jesus says is perfect. That's amazing when you think about it. Think about it. Every word God says is perfect. Every word Jesus said is perfect. Do you know why? It's not just for the fact that they're all knowing and know the right thing to say and when to say it. That is true. But the heart of it is all that is in Jesus Christ's heart is good. There's no deceit. There's no envy. There's no pride. There's no sin in his heart. So all that can flow from him is good. That's the glorious truth of our Savior. Have you ever realized that before? That's why all of his words are perfect because he is perfect on the inside. That's amazing. For you and me, if we want to produce good, it's going to start with that which we are producing inside our hearts. The only thing God can produce is good. The follow-up question to that is very obvious. Are you protecting your heart? And college students, i got to talk to you very honestly. Are you guarding your heart? What defense mechanisms do you have for your heart, for your mind? Do you have any? Is there any standard? Watch this. Is there any standard you hold your heart to? Any at all. Because if we constantly have no standard, then everything that comes in is eventually going to come back out and it's all going to be evil. How are you protecting yourself? It doesn't matter how intelligent you think you are. It's going to flow from your heart. (laughs) It's going to flow from your heart. Just having the right answers doesn't mean you've got the spirit to produce them. (laughs) You have to love Jesus. You have to be changed from the inside out. Because if you think about it, watch this. Very fascinating. We take extreme measures to protect ourselves physically, don't we? We take huge measures. We put alarm systems on our house. We put locks on our door. We lock our car. Some of us don't. We just leave our car unlocked and wonder why it keeps getting broken into. Some of us have old cars and we don't even need to lock them because nobody wants to break into them. I got to tell you, the devil wants to break into your heart. Like, Alert, (laughs) like he doesn't look at your heart and say, I'll give that one up. No, he's coming after your heart. We literally take self-defense classes. We learn how to fight. We build our muscles up as strong as we can. We do all these physical things to protect ourselves, but we do nothing to protect our heart. (laughs) Some of the strongest people you see on the outside can sometimes be some of the most unguarded, weak people on the inside. (laughs) We put up all these barriers But we have none on our hearts. We let any feeling or emotion come into our heart. We let any thought or deceit or lust come into our mind. And we think that it's not hurting us. But you would not just let any burglar into your house, even if he he looked unalarming. You still keep strangers out to be safe. So why do you let even the thoughts and feelings that look a little bit unalarming still into your mind and your heart? Because they can cause the most damage. Why? Who am I talking to? Leaders, lock in with me right here. Do you have a protection on your heart? If you do not, I would bet you are not becoming more like Jesus on that sanctification process. That's the reality of it. I hate to get on you, but it's true. We got too many leaders, Christians, who are not protecting their heart. Too many leaders that get caught up in the next stage of life so much that they miss this stage of life. They're so focused on the next trip, the next place, the next year, the next engagement, the next marriage, the next thing that they can get to, and they wonder why their heart is so stale in this stage. (laughs) Are you serious? 
I'll tell you why you're missing it in this current life because you're so focused on the next few years of your life. Listen, Jesus, what's amazing, he always knew the cross was coming, but the cross never kept him from who was in front of him because who was in front of him is the reason he was going to the cross. (laughs) That's amazing. You want to talk about, Daniel, I've got a plan. I've got to think about my career. I've got to think about getting married. I've got to think about these things down the road. I've got to. I can't be in the now because I've got to think about what's ahead. It's too big. Okay, I get that. Is it bigger than taking on the sins of the world? He said, Daniel, some of you are like, I'm done with the stream tonight. (laughs) Like, Like, for real, I know you got plans, you got dreams, you want to get married, you want to do all these things. Are they bigger than taking on the sins of the world? Because Jesus never missed the now because of the future. Because everything he was doing in his future was driving his now. For some of you, your future has nothing to do with God, and you're wondering why you're not living for him now. (laughs) I don't know how else to put it, man. You and I have got to protect our heart. You can't just sit there and daydream all day long about what it's going to be like to be married, to be in this career, to be in these things. It's great to do that, but you are not protecting your heart to be where you are right now. And you will miss people to disciple in college. You will miss people to share Jesus with in college. Then when you get married, you never learn how to truly make disciples and share Jesus while in college. So you don't really know how to teach your family one day how to do it. That's real. That's no sermon. That's no sound bite. That's real. You will miss what you're supposed to do in your marriage because you miss doing it in college because you were focused on your marriage. Do you have any security? Is it just an airport with no security? Whatever goes through gets to the plane. Do you have any barriers on your thought life? Do you have any barriers on your emotions? Some of you let yourself feel however you want to feel about a person. That's going to kill you. You need two things. Scripturally, you need barriers on your thoughts, and you need barriers on your heart. Barriers with your thought life, barriers with your emotions. You need these things. I've got to move on. But you need barriers. Jesus Christ is calling you to be all in right now where you are. The best thing you can do for your future is to be madly in love with Jesus in the present. Not to be madly prepared or in love with your future. Stop idolizing what's next. Stop idolizing other people. Fall in love with Jesus now. He will work everything else out for you. I can't tell you any more amazing than that. These barriers, I do want to expand. Barriers on your thoughts means when you start to objectify someone or hurt someone in your mind, you say, these thoughts can't live here. This is a house where they can't live. Emotionally, you've got to be willing to get to the point where you say, I'm never going to be more attached to a person than I am to God. You have to get to that point where you say, I'm not going to let my heart ever love a person more than I love God. That's idolatry. I'll never let it happen. Because if if your emotions are dependent on man, one day you'll be high, one day you'll be low. (laughs) Because that's how people are. One day you'll be on the top of the world. Oh, me and my boyfriend and girlfriend, we're so happy. We got it all figured out. We don't fight. We don't argue. My life is amazing. And then when you have that fight, that roller coaster goes, whoop. (laughs) But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. 
That's why your emotions, everything you have in you is dependent on Jesus Christ. Mm, I need to move on. Four ways your words are a torch to burn. I want to give you these based off of scripture. A is gossip. One of the first ways that your words burn is gossip. I have seen so many leadership teams. I have seen so many groups of people. I've seen so many uh, sports teams ruined by gossip. Psalm 34, 13 says, keep your tongue from evil. It also says, keep your lips from deceitful speech. Ephesians 4, verse 29 Says no, Paul is talking here. He says, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Here's why we gossip. We gossip because bringing other people down makes us feel like we're elevating ourselves. That's the reason why we gossip. That's why it's so easy to do. That's why it feels so good when we do it. Because we're not just bringing someone down in our mind. We're elevating ourselves. And we all naturally want to be elevated. We all naturally want to go to the wedding and sit in the front seat. Whereas Jesus said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. So in other words, when you walk into the wedding, you take the back seat. (laughs) Because it's not yourself who needs to humble you. It's Jesus who's got you. And whenever he does exalt you, it's all for the glory of the Father. (laughs) All for the glory of the the kingdom of heaven, not your glory. So we do this to elevate ourselves. It makes us feel better to tear someone else down. We have this weird lie from Satan that if we tear other people down, we're building ourselves up. Do you know how dumb that sounds? I'll be real. You know how dumb it sounds to say that if I tear other people down, I'm really building myself up. That's like seeing a a building here and a building there and saying, oh, if I can just blow up their building, mine will look perfect. You realize that blowing theirs up really took away from you actually being able to build? You're literally focused on tearing something else down. Meanwhile, yours is being torn down. Stop gossiping. You could not be any further from Jesus Christ than when you gossip. The people we usually gossip are the people he stopped and healed, the people he took the leprosy from, the people he healed who were blind, the people who he said, hey, let the first who is without sin cast a stone at this woman. I think about the woman at the well who we would gossip about. Man, you know she's been with a number of husbands. You know she's been with a number of guys. The The guy she with right now ain't even her husband. Did you know that? And Jesus sees her and sees that if she gets saved, she can go lead her whole town to Jesus Christ. But you and I would gossip about her and we would tear her down. You could not be any less like Jesus Christ than when you choose to gossip. And let me tell you something. Be very, very careful in tearing down church leaders and touching the anointed of God. Be very, very careful. That is a dangerous and slippery slope. I encourage all of you to pray for each church leader here at Bellevue to pray for Brother Steve and Miss Donna, to pray for our next-gen pastor who oversees our college ministry, Jay Stevenson, to pray for me and Jacob and Dakota, to pray for whatever home church you go to, to pray for that pastor. Be very careful when you start tearing down the Lord's anointing, tearing down those who God has put in positions of leadership in the church. Let me tell you something. That's a very, very slippery slope be careful that's all i got to say just be very very careful 
Gossip is defined as casual or unconstrained conversation about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed true. The word that stands out to me in the definition is casual. See, we think of gossip of being like, man, I can't stand Dakota. I hate Dakota. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind when I see him. That dude is awful. Like, it's not always that. And I love Dakota to death. He is a blessing to my life. It's those side comments. It's those subtle, casual jabs in our conversation where we're really taking shots at somebody, but it's disguised to look like it's not. You know what I'm talking about. Man, that'll rot you from the inside out. You feel so casual about it. There is nothing casual about gossip, but there is something catastrophic about gossip. (laughs) There is nothing casual about gossip, but there is something catastrophic about gossip. B is lying. B, four ways your words are torched and burned. B is lying, and we're going to look at Acts 5. Did you know these statistics on lying? I want to give you some statistics because these blew my mind in studying this text, studying that whatever is in a man's heart will come out of his mouth. Did you know that by the age of four, 90% of children have learned the concept of lying? Did you know that? Based on studies performed in the past, it is estimated that 60% of adults cannot have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least, excuse me, once. Within those 10 minutes, did you know that an average of three lies were told? That is absurd. Ananias lied. Do you remember that? Acts chapter 5, look at Acts 5, verses 1. A man named Ananias sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart? Look at this. Satan filled your heart to lie. You want to know where your lies come from? It comes from Satan tempting you to do it. And it starts where? In your heart. It's amazing. Right here, the text Jesus is telling us about our words is being brought to life in Acts 5. When you read the Bible, do you ever cross-reference? Do you ever look at where the Bible is connected? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? He didn't say to us. He said to the Holy Spirit. And keep back part of the proceeds of the land. Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. He said, (laughs) what you planned in your heart became actions from your hands. When he heard these words, Ananias, look at this, dropped dead. (laughs) We'll talk about serious consequences. Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. The reason he dropped dead is because he did not view sacred what God has said is sacred. There's nothing in this world that doesn't belong to God already. You think that you can hold on to your life, that you can hold on to your possessions, that you can hold on to all these things, but they're not really yours. So the application from Acts 5 is to ask you, is there anything you are lying to God about? Not necessarily in terms of, oh, God, I went to the mall today when I really didn't. (laughs) Is there anything you are not giving God that is already really his anyway? 
What part of you have you not given to God that you're holding back but lying and saying that you are fully in? I got to ask myself that question too, guys. I'm in the same boat with you. I'm in the same boat with you. That's hard. That is tough. C, I love this point. I've been wanting to teach on this point for 10 years. I haven't even been a Christian for 10 years. That doesn't make sense. C, passive aggressiveness and tone. (laughs) Passive aggressiveness and tone. When's the last time a preacher preached on the passive aggressiveness and tone of somebody? It makes a difference. Listen, so many times we don't want to address an issue we have with someone, so we address it with our body language. We address it with our demeanor. In other words, if you don't address an issue verbally, you'll often address it physically, meaning your bad language, your mood, how your body is, your comments, your, your demeanor, all these things that you are giving off. If you would simply deal with it with your words, you wouldn't have to deal with it through your body. This is so unhealthy and so unchristlike. When Jesus had an issue, he dealt with it. Do you remember when he walked into the temple? Do you remember when Jesus walked into the temple and he saw that, man, there was some sin running rampant in the house of God? He walked into the temple, saw that sin was going rampant. He was upset. What he did not do is put his shoulders down and start moping. <laughs> Can you imagine if Jesus went in the temple and said, oh, these guys, they're messing up what I got going on here. I hope they see me upset. Like he didn't put his, his head down and say, oh, woe is me. I hope they see me so they make a change, thinking that they're going to be like, hey, that guy looks a little upset. We better stop. Like, no. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't mope around and look angry to try to hope they noticed something. No, he dealt with the problem. He used his words. He used his actions. He handled it. He cleansed the temple. Some of you got to stop moping around like this, like, woe is me. I just want somebody to notice me. I just want somebody to come and show me some sympathy and feel sorry for me. No, you have got to start using your voice. That sounds familiar to me. You've got to start dealing with the issues that you have. You cannot carry them on the inside, or you will do this. You will constantly mope around and hope other people notice, and then you won't deal with any of the junk you've got in your life. Daniel, how do you know that? One, it's scriptural. Two, I relate to it. I do it all the time. And maybe if my wife sees me upset, maybe if she sees me upset, she'll change her ways. No! You can't do that when you get married, college students. You got to be able to communicate. You got to be able to talk. And too many of us are happy with being passive aggressive. I will never forget when I was coaching basketball. Some of you are like, thank goodness, a relief. I was needing an illustration right about now. (laughs) Like, thank goodness. I knew one was coming somewhere. I'll never forget when I was coaching basketball. And uh, I was coaching at the high school level. I coached at Bartlett High School. I graduated from there in 2012. And I was coaching high school basketball. One of my players was Dakota Tucker. (laughs) Some of you know that name. Dakota uh, was one of my players is how we met. I met him when I was in a college, and he was an eighth grader, and he played for me through high school. And I'll never forget, he was a great athlete. He really was. He was great at basketball. He played football. He was a great athlete. He was a great kid. He worked hard. And we would go to train together. I was training him. I was teaching him what he needed to do in basketball to become an elite player. You know, that's the great thing about discipleship. There's sometimes people in your life, I bet, who have come alongside you and trained you in how to be a Christian. That's an amazing thing. I was training him in basketball. And we went to this outside park, the park that I actually ended up giving, getting saved at in 2015. And we went to this park, and he was shooting free throws. And I'll never forget this moment because he would step out, he would shoot these free throws, and every single time he would shoot it, it would go, 
clang, like he would miss the free throw really bad. He shoot another one, clang, like he started airballing a couple, like he's got that left hand shot. I'm right handed, so I go right there with it. You see the form. He would go with that left hand and he shoot that left hand and clang, he keep missing shots over and over and over. This is what he would do. Every single time he would miss a shot, he would go, that was the big one right there. When he started going, some of y'all do that every day of your life, don't you? You go, man, I don't even know why I'm missing these shots, bro. And you do that right there. That's what he did. He would do this number. You've seen it. He'd go, he'd start looking at the tree. He'd start blaming me. He said, coach, I need a bounce pass. Coach, I need a chest pass. Coach, roll the ball to me. Like, it's not my fault you're missing free throws, dude. And what happened is passive aggressiveness made him think that it was other things at fault. Did you catch what I just said there? It made him think that other things were at fault. What needed to change was him. What he did is he started making this shift. He started looking instead of at everyone else and looking at me. He started looking at self. And when he looked at self, he realized two things. One, his knees were not bent. If you're ever going to make a free throw, you're going to have to bend your knees. And then he realized that his elbow was not in. He's shooting with a shot like this. You can't make shots like this. That's a terrible form. You got to get your elbow in. What's amazing is he bent his knees, got his elbow in, made a change. All of a sudden, guess what? The ball started going through the net. It's amazing. (laughs) See, here's what I wrote down. Passive aggressiveness will make you think everyone else needs to change when often it's you that needs to make a change. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying tonight. You keep going... It's somebody else's fault. This is somebody else. This ain't me. This is somebody else's fault. You're probably missing what you need to change. And usually it's internally. For Dakota, it was internal mechanics about his shot. For you, what probably needs to change is your internal mechanics of your worship, how you view God, how you view yourself, and how you view other people. Triple threat. <laughs> right? How you view God, how you view yourself, and how you view other people. You need to make a shift if passive-aggressive. I got to move on. D, silence. The last way you say, Daniel, how does this burn? Well, sometimes silence can burn as bad as words themselves do. You know exactly what I'm saying. Not all the time. Sometimes it is very fruitful to be quiet. (laughs) Sometimes it's very fruitful to shh. But the Bible tells us all the time that we have got to be vocal about our faith. There are times God will prompt you to speak through the Holy Spirit. He prompted Peter to share the gospel in Acts chapter 2. People got saved. If Peter didn't do that through the Holy Spirit, people would not have gotten saved. God is pushing you to not be silenced. You're going to, as long as I'm around as a college pastor, you're going to hear the need to use your voice, to speak up and share the gospel. I love what Scott Dawson said on a podcast that I listened to. This will hit you right here. It hit me in the mouth. He said, we are all one unprayed through decision away from destruction. That is a crazy concept. We are all one unprayed through decision away from destruction. Prayerless decision making leads to a purposeless life. Are you silent in your prayers? I'm not talking about you need to sit in silence at God's feet. You need to listen. That's good. I'm not talking about that. Don't get confused. I'm saying are you not praying over the decisions in your life? Because if you're not, we're all one unpaid Pray through decision away from destruction. I wish I had more time to go into that there. I don't. Let's get to the good. Number two, your words can be a tool used to build. 
Let's get to the good of this text. We know bad trees produce bad fruit. There's many other subpoints I could give. I simply don't have time. But bad trees produce bad. But what about good trees that produce good? Look at Luke 6 again. Look at the passage with me. Verse 45. A person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person, though, produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. So if it's true that you and me are kingdom builders, right? You're a college student. You're on fire for your faith. You want to be a leader. How do you actually do that? How do you use your words? Excuse me. What do we learn from Jesus Christ and his words? Well, here's the thing I want to tell you. You and I know is perfectly well. When people are speaking through the Holy Spirit, it's different, isn't it? When people come to us and they say things and they encourage us through the Holy Spirit, it sticks with us. You can tell that people have been with the Lord by their words oftentimes. You could tell by how they talk, how they pray. There's just a difference there. Well, to get there, you have to be in God's word and in prayer. Now, A is encouragement. The first way that your words can build instead of burn is encouragement. Encouragement literally means to give courage, to support and love someone. First Thessalonians 5.11 tells us, therefore encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Literally, encouragement is building. It is a tool you use to build other people up. I can't tell you how thankful I am for the encouragement that you guys give to me and my wife, Hannah. Many of you reach out to us on a weekly basis uh, and you pray for us, you encourage us. That means the world to us. I would love to name everybody that encourages me, but one person who never fails to encourage me time and time again is Zach Pollan, uh, or the guy who I lived with in college. He never fails to encourage me. He always encourages me. He always says good things. He builds me up. He calls me out when I'm wrong, but he builds me up. He loves me. He tells me words I need to hear that are for my benefit, not just, he doesn't tell me I'm doing good if I'm doing bad. (laughs) Encouragement is telling me I'm bad when I'm doing bad. (laughs) He tells me the truth, and he's consistent with it every single week. Do you do that for anybody? Because I can name off 10 other people who take the time to encourage me. I can name off 10 other people who I need to take more time to encourage. But do you have people that you encourage through the Holy Spirit of God? Is there anybody you take the time to encourage? Or do you just sit around with your phone just waiting for it to buzz so you can get an encouragement? (laughs) But what a sad way to live. Who are you encouraging? Let me put it to you this way, though. I do want to give a warning. You cannot be a people pleaser. You can't do it. Jesus Christ was not a people pleaser. When you read the Gospels, he certainly did not please people. (laughs) That's the last thing he did. His words offended people. His words cut to the heart. (laughs) After Peter's sermon, when he shared the full gospel, they were pierced to the heart. (laughs) The gospel hurts sometimes. It's, It's truth. Jesus did not people please. He encouraged, but he did not people please. Some of us so desperately want to be liked by everybody. Woe to you if all people speak well of you. Some of us want so badly to be approved by people that we try to people please them. I'd love to talk on the phone with all of you every single day. If I could spend all my time talking to you on the phone every day, I would do it. But the truth is I can't. And I have to be okay with encouraging based on the spirit, not on my flesh. Because if I encourage based on my flesh, then I'm only going to encourage people who can do something for me or who I'm afraid might not like me. That's not real encouragement. You see, people-pleasing is like a dog chasing its tail. You will never reach it, and you'll look dumb in the process. That's exactly what people-pleasing is like. 
You're a dog chasing its tail. You'll never reach it, and you'll look dumb in the process. Now, I want to expand on this. We're going to another subpoint, but it's a building on the first one. B is exhortation. Not many people understand what exhortation truly is. B is exhortation to exhort someone. Many people are great encouragers, but many people are not great exhorters, if that's a word. I'm not sure if that's a word. I'll ask my wife. She's an English teacher. Exhorting people. There's a difference. Now, here's my perception of it always. This may be wrong, but this is how I I have perceived the difference. Watch this. Encouragement is like a pat. It's a pat on the back. It's support. It's love. It's, it's, It's encouragement right there on the back. It's a pat. But I've always viewed exhortation as a push. You see the difference? See, when you pat someone on the back, sometimes that's much needed. But oftentimes, they don't need a pat. They need a push. Some of us are great at patting people on the back. Oh, man, you did great. Great job. I love you, man. You're doing so good. But are we exhorters? Are we pushing people to what is right? Are we pushing them to be like Jesus Christ? See, we can't just be satisfied with a pat. We have to be satisfied with a push. And here's what I mean. If you want to lead like Jesus, encourage to exhort. Pat to push. (laughs) Encourage someone to exhort them. In other words, if I give Jacob an encouragement, I really want to give him an exhortation. I want someone to encourage me, but then give me an exhortation. We have to be Christians who are encouraging and exhorting, so, and we have to be okay with being encouraged and exhorted. It's okay to be encouraged, but no, not many people want to, for someone to exhort them to something because it means you're pushing them to do something they often don't want to like. But we got to be okay with encouraging and exhorting other people. Pat them on the back when they do well and push them when they need to keep growing. I've got... I don't have time for something I really wish I did. C, tell people who Jesus Christ is. C, tell people who Jesus Christ is. And I got to ask you something. I got to be real with you. Has quarantine made you forget what we're supposed to do? I mean, just be real. Just talk to me. No sermon. Zone in wherever you are. Has quarantine made you forget our mission? Have we bought the lie that because we're all stuck in our home, there's not people still traveling on that broad road? They're still traveling. Maybe even faster than before. There's people still traveling down the road to hell. Your words can literally change someone's life. Why would you stay quiet? You have the, the cure to a sickness. Why would you not tell someone? How many illustrations could I give you? Literally, you're the smallest encouragement, the smallest gospel conversation, the smallest way you share what God is doing in your life. When you share this stream, when you share what God's teaching you, someone could literally get saved based off of that. But we're all afraid to get in somebody's way, aren't we? We're all afraid to get in somebody's way. We're all afraid of being an inconvenience to somebody. Let me ask you something. You're so afraid to get in somebody's way. If they're traveling down the broad road to hell, isn't it a good thing that you get in their way? Just a little bit? (laughs) Like if we really believe they're on their way to hell, why would we not step in and actually get in their way a little bit? Why are we so afraid of offending people? The Bible never says, hey, don't go push Jesus on people. Just just if it's easy, then share the gospel. No, we got a mission. 
Doesn't mean we get in people's faces and say, turn or burn. That's not the call. But we have to tell people that we believe they are going down a path that leads to hell. Otherwise, we are not sharing the gospel. We're sharing half a gospel. <laughs> and half a gospel is dangerous because being, having half a gospel will make you think you're saved when you're not really saved. That's what half a gospel does. We have to tell the people the full thing. Some of you are like, Daniel, I'm not as connected to people. I'm stuck in the house. I don't get to meet new people. you got to be kidding me. We are all more connected than we have ever been because we have this device, and we can't find ways to share the gospel through it. We can't find ways to share Jesus through our social media platforms. We can't find ways to call people we don't really know and spark up a gospel conversation. Is our evangelism really dependent on going places? Is that it? Because we're more connected than we've ever been. The saddest part of this whole quarantine to me, and I'm in this boat with you, the saddest part of this whole thing is that we have not given up on sharing Jesus. We have just postponed sharing Jesus. (laughs) That's the saddest part of this whole thing is that we still believe Jesus could save people. We've just put it off to August. How are you going to use your voice this week? How are you going to be evangelistic this week? I can't answer that question for you. For some of you watching who have heard about Jesus for a long time, when is it going to click? For me, it, I, wasn't 20, I was 21 years old until it clicked. I knew all about Jesus, but I didn't know him. <laughs> so there's a difference about knowing of someone and truly knowing them. If you're a Christian, let me challenge you. Can you have at least one gospel conversation this week? One? Or is that too much? Is it too much for me? Can we not handle it? Do we not have the time to share one gospel conversation with somebody? Are we really too busy? Are we that disconnected from this world? One gospel conversation. Where are you? Serve team, connect team, prayer team, all the college students watching across the city, all the college students watching across the world. Are we too busy? For those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, I've shared the gospel every which way. You're a sinner. You have sinned. But guess what? Jesus Christ paid for that sin. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Guess what? Your sin has been paid for. But you have to take that gift. Why would you not take it? If Jesus Christ died for your sins and offers you eternal salvation, the chance to have peace and joy in this life, why would you not take it? He's died for your sins, and then he rose from the grave. But you got to repent. Repentance is the most humble act you can do. It is literally saying, I am kind of trash. I have sinned. I have broken God's laws. I have done evil. You look at this world, you can see it's evil. I have done wrong, and I need a Savior. It's the most humble act you can do. You got to repent. But pride is keeping a lot of you from repenting. A lot of you Christians, you haven't repented in a while. That's scary. I've been there before. Pride will keep you from repenting of your sins. But when you do repent, (laughs) when you give your sins to God, when you make that turn, when you do that 180, your life will be changed forever. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, we talked about that, he is now your Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Where are you tonight? Will you get saved tonight? Will you stop playing games with your soul and give your life to Jesus right now?